Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! New people that are here from week to week, and you don't always know those of us up front. Um, I am the lead pastor. My name is Rod Heppel, and Tim Voth is our associate pastor. Uh, so those are a couple on our staff that have been up here. And David Lee is what we call our pastor emeritus. And you might not be familiar with that term. Um, David uh, and his wife Emily, uh, Dave served as the lead pastor for 17 years in the life of our church, and I was his associate for 15 years. Uh, but we were more than colleagues, Dave. We became friends. And so the term emeritus is an honorary title that we give to someone in a situation like that that has served this church for so long um, because it allows us to still call him Pastor Dave, which is the fun part. It comes with no obligation, no responsibility outside of whatever level of gifting God has given him and desire to use those gifts to serve the Lord, like preaching, which is what what he's doing today. It also comes with no pay. So (laughs) thank you. But what I want to say is um, thank you for the legacy that you've left, not only with your four grown and married children and 14 grandchildren, but the legacy that you leave with us as a church family as well, because you still inspire us, you still encourage us, you still use your gifts of preaching God's Word. Uh, Four, five, six times a year, Dave will be preaching in the life of our congregation. I'm really grateful that he offered back in November. You know, Rod, December 31st is a Sunday. Would you like me to preach on that one this year? I love you, brother. Yes. So thank you. Dave, please come and share God's word with us this morning. I know most of you know him well, but let's give him a round of applause and say thank you very much for this. It's good to see all of you here today. And Happy New Year. I get to be the second person to wish you that. Um, Oh, I can't remember what I was going to say, Rod. Thanks for all those kind things. Uh, That was very... Nice of you to introduce me that way. Um, oh, yeah, I know what it was. Um, five kids. You came really, really close. <laughs> so uh, most of you, uh, many of you who have been here for a long time would know all five of our kids. And uh, so two of them are here today. And two are on Vancouver Island, and one is in Moncton. So we're kind of scattered. But nobody's in Italy anymore. That's kind of a relief. Our son... Rob was a supportive missionary and his wife, Kaneen, and they were in Italy, but they're now back in Canada on the island, and we're thankful they're closer at hand. I'd like to lead us in prayer. Would you pray with me? Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord Almighty. Make your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. Psalm 80. That, O Lord, is the need of your people today. Many observers see the church in crisis, a crisis of conviction, a crisis of belief, a crisis of determined discipleship, a crisis of moral integrity. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. Bring deeper spiritual life upon your people. I confess our lethargy and lack of genuine zeal. We love the wrong things and pursue that which will not endure. Bring us back to you and fill us with the spirit and with a passion for the heart of God. 
In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, That's a prayer I wrote back in 1996. That's 27 years ago. As I pray it today together with you, I feel its relevance. I pray this with equal urgency, equal zeal, equal fervor, which is the thing that I want to talk with you about here this morning. I believe that God's people are in constant need of prayers like this, which is why Paul urges the members of the church in Rome 2,000 years ago, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And that same word of encouragement is needed today, 2,000 years later. Why this reminder? Because zeal is like one of those helium balloons that your child gets at a birthday party, and there it is lying on the floor in the morning with a disappointed child wondering why it won't float anymore. And so this verse urges us to keep our spiritual fervor, don't lose our zeal, and keep on serving the Lord. Because we need to be reminded regularly, perhaps even daily. So let's talk about zeal and spiritual fervor. I feel passionate about some things. I know you do too. I feel passionately that the Canucks have a successful season this year and they're off to a good start. Perhaps as some of you can't stand hockey, the Canucks or both, But I'm sure you're passionate about something. So what are you passionate about? Most people feel passionate about family. Some people feel passionate about their education or their career. You see opportunities on the horizon, and it it actually makes you excited. I remember when I got accepted to do my master's and then eventually my doctorate in Chicago. I couldn't believe it. I felt so blessed. I'm going to be able to study with scholars like Don Carson and Walt Kaiser and Douglas Moo. I felt so blessed. I know a lot of people aren't so passionate about their work life or their education. They kind of endured that in order to be able to enjoy other outside of school and work activities. Hobbies, sports, movies, volunteering at service organizations, serving meals at Ruth and Naomi's. Here's something I'm passionate about, other than the Canucks. I'm passionate about preparing the next generation of pastors and church leaders. I'm really concerned about this. I'd like to leave a legacy. I thought it was interesting. It was in the song we just sang. I'd like to leave a legacy by looking ahead to the emerging generation. And that means needing to act on that passion by serving the Lord. For me, this means continuing to teach college and seminary courses. So... In the new year, I'll be teaching another Briarcrest course. It means mentoring a number of pastors, which I'm doing, working with church leadership teams facing challenges, as well as we're assisting our regional staff here in British Columbia with interventions and crisis situations. So I may be somewhat retired, but I'm not inactive because this is way too important, and I feel God's calling in my life to engage in that passion. So what are you passionate about? Some of you are, bet you are passionate about fishing, golfing, hiking, and kayaking, and that's great, because I love hiking and canoeing, and I'm glad you can still be passionate about stuff like that and still serve the Lord. 
You might be passionate about causes like the environment or social issues like homelessness, poverty among the widows in Kenya, and I know some of you are deeply invested in that cause. You might be passionate about community activities like coaching a, a hockey team or a soccer or a baseball team or working with youth here in our church or summer camp or in our children's ministry. You might be passionate about finding a cure for cancer. There are so many good and worthwhile things to be passionate about. And if God leads you and equips you to, to engage these passions, some of them in the church, some of them in the community, then God's kingdom work is being done through you. If this one thing is true, if the main driving passion is for God himself and his calling, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So that one focus, that zeal and that fervor for serving the Lord, that defines our main passion. Did you know that if anything, even something super worthwhile, if anything overrides that single passion, it's called idolatry. Something totally worthwhile of extreme importance, even something that God has led you to do, can become an idol if it displaces God from the central core, the defining center of your being. As strange as it sounds, a cause can override the one who called you to that cause. So the primary driving passion that guides our life is serving the Lord. And we must make every effort to keep that zeal alive and healthy. So let me emphasize once again, we're not talking exclusively about what you do within this church building or through the programs of Sardis Fellowship. This passion is lived out wherever you are, in the home, in the community, at church, at the rink, on the trail, at your business. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, it's portable. Like one of my favorite verses says, and whatever you do, that includes the home, the community, the church, the rink, the trail, your business. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So our lives as a whole are lived out as service to God. So then, how do we keep this passion, this zeal, this fervor alive and well? Now, if this passion tends to be like an air mattress, you know, that starts off fine in the evening but ends up flat as a pancake by the morning, how do you keep air in that air mattress? Well, let's look back at Romans chapter 12. Actually, we're in Romans 12 because this is verse 11. Romans 12, verse 11. But we're going to look back to see how he leads off the chapter. And I'm going to look, read with, for you the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. That'll help give a context for what we've just read in verse 11. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, that's how you keep air in the mattress. You can tell from the language here that the Apostle Paul is drawing from the Old Testament, that is the earlier than the uh, time of Christ, that era. He's drawing from the Old Testament system, which was a system that involved bringing sacrifices to an altar. Now he's using this context as an analogy for spiritual growth among God's people. And what he says then is, therefore, which means that he's drawing from a conclusion of that which he's previously said, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, now, what he's about to say is rooted in the mercy of God. He's described this in detail in the previous 11 chapters. So for 11 chapters, he's thoroughly described how much God loves us and what he's done to save us from the consequences of our sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He explains that we now belong to God and that God has granted us his spirit. And now he says we're part of a large family that stretches over the centuries and around the globe. A family called the people of God. And he says in view of that, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So offer your body as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, the word body there describes your whole self, not just your physical being, but your whole self, all that you are, every part of your being, nothing held back. He describes this offering of our whole self with three words. He says that this sacrifice is living, that it is holy, and that it is pleasing. So we bring a living sacrifice, and it's living for a good reason, because we are still breathing, okay? So we're bringing this living sacrifice, and because we do not have a blood sacrifice to bring. Because of the once and for all death of Jesus, there is no further sacrifice for sin required. The death he died... Paul says earlier in Romans, Romans 6, verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. So when Jesus was on the cross, one of the things he said was, it is finished. Those were among the last words that, God, that Jesus spoke before he died. It is finished, and he meant it. He is the perfect sacrifice that brings complete and absolute forgiveness of sin. What we then bring, because we need not bring a blood sacrifice, what we bring is ourselves. We bring a living sacrifice to that altar. We bring ourselves to the altar and we place ourselves before God. We've actually sung quite a bit about that, about giving ourselves to God in the, the songs that we sang earlier in the service. This living sacrifice is called holy. It's a holy sacrifice. Now, holy means set apart to God. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. That's important because we aren't. We don't have a saintly halo. We're not thoroughly good. 
When we say that it's a holy sacrifice, what we mean is, is that it is devoted to God. It's a sacrifice that is dedicated to God. That's what we mean. And this pleases him. It pleases him so much that it's described as an act of worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We have been worshiping God together here this morning. We've been worshiping through song, through prayer, through the scriptures, and that is true and proper worship. But, but worship is not confined to 10 a.m. on Sunday morning inside this building. Worship at its best is lived out for the glory of God in our day-to-day, which pleases him. That, that of course, then gives... Um, authenticity to what we're doing here together. It's not just sort of a one-off, good, I got, got the worship part of the week done. It's actually lived out day to day, throughout the day. Let's summarize what we're talking about by using a prayer from a very famous hymn writer back in the 1700s called John Newton, and he wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. And he had a prayer that he prayed, and I'd like to share it with you because it's helpful to understand what we're talking about. John Newton prayed this. Oops, I don't know what happened there. It should be there someplace. There we go. Here's John Newton's prayer. What thou wilt, when thou wilt, how thou wilt. You might want to just take note of that. Like if you have something to write that down in or snap a photo with with your... you know, your iPhone or whatever you have. Like, that's a really good prayer. And it covers a lot of ground, right? What thou wilt, when thou wilt, how thou wilt. In light of God's mercy to us, we offer ourselves to do his will in an open-handed manner, in open-handed surrender. It's It's a process we repeat over and over throughout our lives. There's always more that we can learn. There's always more of ourselves to give over to God. And sometimes we forget what we already know. My story is a lot like other people's story and probably like your story. I'd go to summer camp or youth retreat and get seriously challenged in my walk of faith. I'd make a deep, emotionally charged commitment to God. It seemed heartfelt to me in the moment. I really meant it. I'd even feel this lump in my throat and the beating of my heart as I offered myself as a living sacrifice to God. But you know what happens. I had trouble with the follow-through. A week or two after getting back to school, I'd have slipped a bit. A couple of weeks after that, a bit more, and so on and so on. And then I'd have to get to another youth retreat and start all over again. I think you know what I'm talking about. That kind of thing really isn't unusual. But but I'm sure that something real was happening within me. I believe that I made a little bit of progress in my faith every time. Kind of like a slowly rising tide. I think that I gave a little bit more of myself to God each time. Through it, I learned, and I'm still learning, that zeal and spiritual fervor are like a pinhole in an air mattress, and it slowly leaks. Someone put it this way, because you are a living sacrifice, 
you always have a propensity to climb back off the altar. So we offer ourselves to God, and then we climb back off it again. And then you find yourself climbing off the altar again, and so you give yourself back to God all over again. So what should you do if you find yourself climbing off the altar? It's simple. Get back on the altar again. Offer yourself to God all over again. And don't let shame or regret for past failure ever keep you from offering yourself to God. Pray this prayer, what you wilt, when you wilt, how you wilt. Also, never forget, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. No matter how often we crawl off that altar, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive, he will purify. Never forget that. Here's our goal. As those who offer ourselves to God, we want to live a life distinct to the world around us. We want the offering of ourselves to make a real difference in the day-to-day, don't we? This means not conforming to the world the world that we're submerged in, because we really are submerged in the world, and it's constantly shaping us, eroding us, bumping up against us. And so Paul goes on in this text to say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our temptation is to conform to the pattern of the world because we're submerged in it. And so we find ourselves conforming to the prevailing beliefs of our culture, which are not always, but often are, out of sync with the teaching of Christ. And and the teaching of Christ, that's the touchstone. That's what we always come back to. What am I talking about? Well, I want to give you an example. There are hundreds, there are probably thousands of examples I could give, but I'm going to confine myself to one because it's something that I've been noticing over the last two or three years. Okay, we're going to go back to hockey. Anybody here watch hockey at all? Okay, oh, there's very few of you. Very sad about this. This is not going to work then. This, uh, (laughs) my illustration will not work. I'm just really glad to say that my wife is a dedicated hockey fan. So we get to watch Canucks games together, and I love it. Rob used to be my my viewing partner, you know. We'd watch games together. But when he went off to Italy, she stepped up. (laughs) Okay, if you watch hockey games, have you noticed all the sports betting ads. Has anybody noticed that? Aren't they irritating? They are so irritating. Anyways, during a game a few weeks ago, I decided to count them. Now, if you watch any sport, like NFL football, for example, it's there too. It's all over the place. So I decided to count them. Some of them are lengthy. Some are small little promos. Some are just little logo that you find on a banner. I counted 14 ads with a couple of lotto ads mixed in. Now, a person might see sports betting as a game, and I get that, the fun of predicting an outcome and testing one's cleverness. But is it also not the beginning or the feeding of a harmful addiction? And might it also not represent an unhealthy hunger for wealth? And might it betray a lack of contentment? And might it result in harm, not only to the individual, but also harm to others? So Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
So what might that look like when it comes to sports betting? So here are some countercultural values taught by Jesus, okay? Remember, that's our touchstone. Jesus taught, be generous, give to God's work, walk by faith, trusting in God's provision, and find contentment in him. He also taught us to deny ourselves, which means saying no to activities which aren't helping us in our spiritual journey or that might actually be harming us or others. He taught us not to make an idol of wealth or sports or anything else, but allow only one God on the throne of our lives. And I believe that all of these are relevant to the question of sports betting. Now, that's just one example. Like I said, uh, there are many, many ways in which our culture will tug us away from the teaching of Jesus. And, and I think that we have to be really honest with ourselves at this point. We have to be honest with ourselves and with God if we struggle with any kind of addiction. We need to seek God's strength, his forgiveness. We also need to seek help among God's people through pastoral care, professional counseling to find the path forward. So let me challenge us with Paul's admonition. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The focus of the transformation is your mind. In other words, how we perceive things. So that as God's transforming work occurs within us, we begin to see things differently. We perceive what is valuable or useless, what is good or evil, what is helpful or harmful, what is worthwhile or wasteful, what is beautiful or hideous. God will adjust how we think so that we perceive things according to the new way of the Spirit. And when that happens, we begin to test and approve God's perfect will. In other words, we grow in discernment. And we begin to track with him. So what do we learn from Romans 12, 1 and 2? Here's the short form. Offer yourself to God. Don't conform to the world. Allow God to transform your mind. And if you do that, you will please God and keep on track with his will for your life. Agreed? Now, in that context, Paul then goes on to say to those of us who are offering ourselves as living sacrifices to God, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And my prayer for you and me as Sardis Fellowship is in the year 2024, we will make that our goal. Would you pray with me? Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. That, O Lord, is our 2024 prayer as your people. May we not compromise our convictions or our beliefs or determine discipleship or moral integrity. And may we love the right things and pursue that which will endure. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices, 
and we desire to be transformed by your grace that we would know your good and perfect will. Fill us with your spirit and grant us passion and zeal in serving the Lord. This is our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.